Uh, today we continue our um, series for the season of Epiphany, where we're exploring the ways God and Christ is revealed to us as we journey through um, Mark's gospel. Last week we, we heard Jesus' mission statement, if you recall, as he called his first disciples. And today we pick up right where he left off. Um, and this, this account um, captures the first action of Jesus' ministry in Mark's gospel. So friends, I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the first chapter of Mark's gospel, beginning with the 21st verse. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed and kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite duties I have every week as your pastor is uh, leading preschool time for, uh, sorry, leading chapel time for our preschool students each week. It's one of the most joyful moments of my life, but also one of the most stress-inducing because I never know exactly what those kids will say or, or do. We have a few preschool families here today, so uh, you all understand. But part of that joy is building relationships with with the kids, and it's so much fun whenever I see them out in town with their families. I want to tell you about the very first time I ran into a preschool student here in, in the community. It was mid-afternoon on a day, and I, you know, had one of those cravings for the wonderful goodness that is a salted caramel cookie from Great Harvest Bakery across the street, and so I indulged my sweet tooth and went there and saw one of our preschoolers there with his mom right after pickup. He pointed me out immediately and said, Pastor Jim. It gave me so much joy to see, to see that and, and for him to see me and be excited to see me. But his joy quickly turned to puzzlement. His face turned. And then he said it. Wait, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> we only had one kid at the time who was a toddler, so I, I hadn't lived through this stage as a parent yet, so I, I looked puzzled and said, Beck, what do you, what do you mean? I, I just want a treat just like you, buddy. And then his mom gracefully uh, chimed in and said, no, 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 he thinks you live at the church <laughs> with all of his teachers, and, and you all are just there all the time. And I had this image in mind of me setting up a cot behind the, the cross here and uh, all of that, but um, as my kids went through that stage, I, I came to learn that as well, that kids have this way of identifying their teachers or their dentists or any adult or person they work with, identifying them with that particular place. 
and that they exist only in that place. I see a lot of parents nodding their heads. There's probably a technical name for it. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. Um, It's a kind of compartmentalization, and we joke about it as parents, but adults do this too to an extent, where we identify people with the places in which we know them. We associate them with particular places or things. Uh, Now, this can be really helpful, and it's probably just the way the human mind works uh, of this, this kind of association. But if we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that it's also a little limiting as well and limiting who, who people are in our lives and, and what all they do and what they're about. We see a little bit of this kind of limiting and compartmentalization in our text today. Jesus, fresh off of calling these, these uh, four disciples in our last text, goes to Capernaum, and we see the first act of his ministry. He goes to the synagogue and there decides to teach on the Sabbath. The people, particularly the the religious elites there, are blown away by what he has to say. What is this teaching? He teaches as one who has authority, not like the scribes and other religious leaders we've seen. This guy's different. But Jesus' first teaching is is short-lived because it gets interrupted quickly as a man with an unclean spirit interrupts the proceedings barging in through the doors of the synagogue. You know, in Greek, that word unclean is is really the word for pure or um, like ritualistic purity with a negation in front of it. So not clean, not pure. Uh, And because of this, this man who barges into the synagogue, it's evident to the first readers of the gospel as well as the people there that day that this man would not have been welcome in the synagogue because of this unclean spirit that's plaguing him. He, that, that's the limit for him, that he wouldn't have been allowed in the worshiping space of the community. But then this man speaks up, and he says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The first person to identify who Jesus really is in Mark's gospel is not one of the disciples. It's not a scribe or a Pharisee or other religious leader. No, it's this man who is plagued by an unclean spirit. This guy knows exactly who Jesus is. So the man's spirit is plaguing him. It makes him unwelcome in the synagogue, and he calls out Jesus, saying exactly who he is. Did you notice when he says, what have you to do? He doesn't say with me. He says with us. It's plural. He is, his spirit is the stand-in for all unclean spirits of the time, all manners of evil and suffering and, and harm in the world, everything that stands against God's reign and realm of peace, love, and justice. This man's spirit is the stand-in for all of these things, and it is encapsulated in this moment as he confronts Jesus as an unwelcome visitor in the synagogue. He calls out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? There's an implication there, isn't there? What have you to do with us, you holy one of God? 
The implication is that this man who's not welcome in the synagogue is conveying that God would have anything to do or would not have anything to do with unclean spirits. Just like those plagued by unclean spirits, those plagued by evil and violence and suffering are somehow now beyond God's realm, that God wouldn't dare mess with these things, just like the holy people of the day wouldn't mess with these things. They were cast off. They were kept at arm's length. The implication is that Jesus, like any other holy person, wouldn't bother messing with them. In our world today, we have a lot of unclean spirits as well, don't we? We think about them a little differently, thanks be to God, than they did in the first century, but we have unclean spirits that you might call illness or addiction. Folks struggling with mental health issues. There are unclean spirits that plague our communities like division and hatred and injustice. There's unclean spirits of violence at work in our world. All these unclean spirits are here among us in the same implication that the man in the text has with Jesus, the society, our society has with the church. That somehow these unclean things, these unclean spirits, these evils and in all manners of, of spirits that are against God's will, these are somehow beyond God's realm. We've come to believe that the God who tore through the heavens and takes on flesh to live among us in Jesus would have anything to do with the evil and suffering in our midst. The result of this, of course, is that over time, the church has lost its voice. We've lost our voice in the public square. And now when bad things happen or there are problems in the world, the community doesn't turn to the church to look for answers, to look for help. Just like this man with the unclean spirit, the society thinks that somehow these are beyond the church's realm. So our voice is lost. It needs to be regained. Because, friends, this is exactly who God in Christ is for us. We see it in the text. Jesus rebukes this unclean spirit just by saying so. Say, be gone, and it's gone. The spirit leaves the man, and what do the folks in the synagogue say? The religious leaders and disciples say, what is this? They still don't quite get it, do they? They still don't quite get who Jesus is and what he's about, but they get a little better glimpse. They say, what is this? A new teaching with authority. There's that word again, authority. The Greek word there is exousia. And I really want you all to, to remember that word today, exousia. It's a word that can also, it means authority, but can also mean power, and it's a word that's often relegated to the power of a king or a ruler, kind of power that's without bound, that's limitless. So Jesus, as he teaches, he teaches as one having authority, this boundless, limitless power. And as the story of the gospel goes on, as the story of the church goes on, it's a word that becomes synonymous with God's power, God's authority, 
in the world. Jesus is able to cast out the spirit with exousia, with authority, with power. Friends, the God we know in Christ does not keep issues and unclean spirits and evils in the world at arm's length, no. The God we know in Christ dives headfirst into our world. The God we know in Christ dives headfirst into the messes of our lives and our world to bring healing, to bring wholeness, and to bring peace and redemption. This is good news, friends. And as such, just as God in Christ takes on this exousia, this authority and power to dive headfirst into our world, into the problems and messes of our world to bring healing and wholeness and peace, so has God entrusted the church with this exousia, with this power and authority. Not for our own gain or not for our own uh, stature, but rather that we might bring about the kingdom of God together. Friends, a church leaning into Christ's exousia is not one that seeks its own, or it doesn't do so for its own gain. It's not about its own um, status, but rather it is participating in the work of God's kingdom. A church claiming God's exousia, living into Christ's power and authority, is not bound to its four walls, but goes out into the world diving headfirst into the messes of our community and our, our world, that we too might participate in God's healing and redemption of our broken society. Friends, that's what we're called to do. It's a daunting task, right? I'm seeing some, <laughs> some hesitant faces. It's a daunting task, but thankfully, friends, we have some great examples among us in the story of our church. Today's our annual meeting and the day where we look back on our previous year of ministry. Um, think about how God's been at work among us and, and we'll do all that downstairs and we've done a lot of great stuff in this world. But I'd be remiss if we didn't spend a little bit of time remembering and celebrating the life and witness and ministry of the Reverend J. Richard Winter our pastor emeritus who died this summer just shy of his 101st birthday. Reverend Winter was the pastor here for 36 years. His pastorate spanned basically the entire Cold War era of our nation. Eight presidential administrations, former history major here, I had to check, from Truman to Reagan. Impressive stuff. He is a, a pillar of this community in many, many ways. And I want to lift up a story that uh, Randy Minter, the, the funeral home um, director, shared at his funeral that is just so pressing for our text today. During the height of the, the struggle for civil rights in the 60s in our community and our nation, when um, restaurants that were segregated in towns like Warrington were staging uh, sit-ins that the African-American community were staging sit-ins in, tensions were high. Reverend Winter, along with the pastor at the Baptist church next door, decided to leave their buildings, to go out that door. Well, all right, not that door. That door didn't exist yet. <laughs> Y'all get it, the door of the chapel. They go out that door and go down Main Street and talk to each of the, the restaurant owners 
and implore them to serve uh, the, the folks of uh, the African-American community staging these sit-ins, to serve them with love and decency and respect. And they did. It's an amazing story of, of pastors and churches living into the exousia of Christ. It would have been really easy for Reverend Winter and his colleague next door to say, yeah, that's, that's not the church's deal. We're not, we're not going to get our hands dirty with that. It would have been easy for them to leave it alone, but instead they leaned into Christ's exousia. They went out into the community to participate in God's uh, bringing of reconciliation and justice to our world. And so, friends, is Christ calling us to do the same, to participate in his exousia, to live into that as his church. What injustices and areas of harm and suffering and hunger in our community are we called to go out into? Where is Christ sending us this year as the church? Friends, that's our challenge for us this year. How are we called to go out into our world to address the hungers, the hurts, the injustices that we might with Christ's power and authority with us, bring healing, redemption, and hope to a broken and hurting world. Friends, may we do this. May we do this knowing that we're not alone, that God's spirit goes before us and guides us along our way, empowering us with this exousia to live into Christ's um, power and energy, that we might do this together, and might that we might participate in God's love and bringing about God's kingdom here among us. Amen.